So Anna Bencomo, welcome very much to We Are UTL Paso. <laughs> thank you. Thank you, Keith, and, and thank you uh, for the invitation. And I am new as a, you know, in my position, but I came every year for more than 10 years in, at the beginning of March to attend the Congreso de Literatura Mexicana Contemporánea, organized by Luis Arturo Ramos and uh, Fernando Garcia, uh, two dear friends of mine, and they are responsible for me <laughs> uh, knowing UTEP um, and, and getting attached to this university previously. Um, and then I knew the campus, I knew the faculty, I knew Diana Natalicio, who always welcome uh, attendance um, to that uh, Congreso. So for me, UTEP is not new. So you know where we, our recent journey has been, and you can now plot into the future. Totally, totally, totally. right? Lovely. And we have, you know, I have followed very closely the, the trajectory of the program of creative writing, um, the bilingual uh, creative writing program that you have here. And because at the University of Houston, we also were trying to, and we did, created a, a, a program at the University of Houston of creative writing, but it was inspired. Your successful program that we have here at UTEP, right? Okay, yeah, they, now they it's we. Absolutely. Yes, 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 okay. yes. So, we. <laughs> you, you've really skipped a lot there. It tells me already and the audience, you've been at the University of Houston, you've been visiting here, and you're into... Uh, literature and uh, Latino literature in particular, or do you say Latinx literature? I don't oh, know. Latin what, American. I am more yeah, okay. uh, on, on scholar of Latin American literature. Good. But let's go back. Yes. Let's go back and back and back until you're about five or six or seven. What were you thinking and dreaming at that age? And when did your current posture in academics uh, begin to materialize? I was a, a very introvert child. Um, I had a sister that is two years older than me, but instead of playing with her, that will be the natural thing, I just went back into the backyard and, and dream. I, I was much of a dreamer uh, and invented stories in my mind and, and started just talking to myself. And I always said that I wanted to be a, a teacher. Always. I never you know, said something different. I said, I am going to be a teacher. I am going to be a teacher. And my mom said, oh, yes, okay, that's good. Um, and then in the summers, uh, I was a good student all my life. <laughs> and in the summers, I used to have my little school in the garage at my house. And I taught my classmates who were not doing that well. Uh, so f for them to get prepared for the for the new How year. How did you recruit your students? That seems <laughs> to be a big issue these <laughs> because days. Because they had to either do summer school or get prepared with a tutor. And and they asked me, are you willing to do it? And I said, of course I will do it. Although I was, I, I was maybe 12 or 14. This is okay. later, right? We were maybe in middle school. Uh, and I did it. So in the summers, in a heat that is similar to the heat here, because I grew up in the desert, I was there at 7 in the morning <laughs> teaching my friends, my classmates, uh, about all subjects, math, chemistry. Oh, my goodness. Yeah. I shall watch my P's and Q's here. <laughs> so, but you, one of the things you said, you grew up like 
in, in a climate similar to here in the totally. desert. But mm. you didn't say where. where. Where did you come from originally? I am from North Venezuela. You know, it's, it's a climate that is very similar to here. So when I came to El Paso, I really have like a revelation, right? When the, the airplane was descending... My heart started beeping really hard because I said, oh, my goodness, this is home, right? Uh, I have been in the States for maybe 20 years before I came to El Paso. And then when I I am landing and I am feeling this breath of heat and this, I said, this is home. So it was like a revelation <laughs> to me. I grew up in the very tip uh, part of Venezuela. Venezuela has like a... If you see the map, has like a head, a peninsula. It's, it's very desertic. So I, I grew up there. The difference with El Paso is that we had the beach. And yeah. here we don't have. <laughs> well, you've got the beach. We don't have the ocean. <laughs> I, exactly. I don't have the ocean to go and refresh myself uh, at one o'clock in the so afternoon. So you started studies and in, in obviously in, in Venezuela. So yes. you went through degree programs, studying uh, Latin American literature straight away? No, no. My father worked in the oil industry. And, um, you know, in Venezuela, it's really common that, you know, maybe the most popular career is engineering, right? It's, and that's similar to, to UTL Paso. It's a very big group of engineering programs. So as I mentioned before, I was a very good student. So I was good in all in all the subjects. And so I got a, a nice... Uh, grant to go to the best um, uh, university who was very scientific, right? It was There was no humanities. It was just engineering, architecture. Um, and then I started engineering. After two years of studying engineering and doing well, in grades-wise, and maybe I was not that happy. But when I was going to uh, register for my semester, and I said, okay, these are my the classes I want to take. And I wanted to take literature. And they said, no, you cannot take more literature because you already have taken, you know, all the Saturated. humanities that you need. <laughs> and I said, but these are the classes that make me happy. So the advisor looked at me and said, so listen, honey, I think you are in the in the wrong degree. <laughs> and, and then... Um, I talked to my friends, and they said, "Yes, we see how your eyes spark when they when you talk about poetry and your literature classes." And then they were saying, "Oh my goodness, your family is going to be so upset that you are leaving engineering, a secure career, to go into literature, right?" And then I said, "No, I think my." Family will understand. And when I told my dad... And both of your parents had been to college at some stage? No, I no. am first generation. You were. All yes. right. And then I talked to them and, and I said, this is what I want to do. And my father, who worked in the oil industry, uh, told me um, that's the, a wise decision. Because if you continue in engineering, you will be a mediocre engineer. If you don't like it, if it's not your passion. If your passion is reading, tell everybody who asks you, what are you going to do with a literature degree that you will be the best teacher of <laughs> literature? <laughs> so that's a very supportive 
very father, supportive, right. very supportive. And because you can imagine the alternative the, in, in not just in Venezuela, but anywhere. Engineering seems like there's a guaranteed position out there somewhere. Studying literature, uh, as you say, you've got to be very good. You've got to be the best in order to progress. And my dad believed yeah. in that. He right. said, follow Lovely. your passion because you will be the best in literature. You will never be the best in engineering. And my father was always very encouraging of his two daughters. I have two brothers as well, but the oldest were the two daughters. And he always told us, don't let anybody tell you that you cannot do it because you are a woman. You are going to go as long as your skills and your intelligence will allow you. And you are, of course, I was his so daughter. You... And so he said, you are very bright. So go far. <laughs> and I really regret that he he was not alive to see um, how far I have come because it was part due to his encouragement. So then you had to transfer universities, as I gather, to yes, continue. then I had to transfer universities, right, and leave the friends because I was I was not from the city. You know, I... I come from a small town in, in the desert, in Venezuela, and then I get to the big city, right? I don't have friends. I have always been the first in my class, and then I start in this big university. I am not the number one anymore. I am new. I have to make friends. So it was a big adjustment to me and to my self-esteem as well <laughs> to know that, you know, I, I was not as... Uh, number one, as I always wanted to be, and then um, and then I changed. I had to change when I decided to go and study literature. They didn't offer that career in this kind of technological university where I was, and then I had to go into a public from a public university to a private university um, run by the Jesuits um, in Venezuela in Caracas, and then. But when I started st my career in literature, from the beginning, I couldn't believe that the, the pleasure I had by studying and reading, and it was easy. I said, my goodness, but this is so easy to me, and was not easy to everybody, but it was easy to me because I found what I was good at. Right, that was my passion. And enjoyed. I mean, you can be good at something without necessarily enjoying yeah. it. So the joy that I felt yes. by reading, you know, we started, of course, with Homer and back in the Greeks um, until, you know, it was five years, uh, 10 semesters. So it was really, uh, you know, I found my passion. Uh, I was again back to the top of the class and, and, uh, and then... I never looked back from so there. So you, you, you took BA degree and a master's degree, and then you made a big decision. And yes. we'll talk about the outcome of that decision, but you decided you wanted a PhD, and we'll come back after a short break to talk about that transition and your arrival eventually at UT El Paso. You're listening to We Are UT El Paso. My name's Keith Panel with Anna Bencomo, who is the Dean of the College of Liberal Arts here at UT El Paso. So Anna, you got your degrees, you got a master's degree, and then you make this big decision. How did you arrive at the need for a PhD? I was teaching at Venezuela 
at three universities at the same time because I couldn't have... A, you didn't have tenure in three No, because I needed a PhD, <laughs> right. right? So I had my master and I was teaching at three universities and driving from one to another. Um, and then um, I was... Finally, I got a full-time job at the same university that I dropped to, from, right? That technological university, Simon Bolivar. Well, wait, wait, wait. Now I'm lost because if you couldn't study but Latin we had American humanities. literature, okay, so they had a little slot. Yes. Okay. I was a, a humanities professor. Yes. All so, right. So, so you did have them. Yeah, but we have limited. them, but not the major. We have those, those classes, right? And we even have the master. My master is from that university, the master in Latin American literature. But we didn't have a bachelor degree in literature. All the bachelors were technical. That's interesting. So you had graduate programs that didn't have an undergraduate equivalent. Yes. Uh, that, that seems a little crazy. Is that a good idea? Are you going to incorporate that idea into UT? Because you UT? had great faculty. So it, was the, it is the best university in Venezuela. So yeah. although you were hiring faculty to teach humanities or literature courses, they were really productive. They were right, okay. researchers. So to keep the good to faculty, keep you them, needed a master's yeah, program. You needed a, a graduate degree. Understood. For, so, for that faculty to be you know, recognize and to be productive. So I was there. I was teaching. Um, I took, uh, I just studied the master and then I was working there. And then I needed the PhD to get a tenure, right? Yes. And there was not a PhD in, in literature uh, back then in the 90s in Venezuela. So I said, okay, I need to go. Uh, where do I go? And we always had speakers from the States coming, right, um, to give seminars in, uh, in that master program. And then there was, you know, an, an advisor of mine in the master told me, okay, go and talk to them and tell them that you want to go for a PhD. So I talked to Julio Ramos from UC Berkeley who came and gave a talk. I talked uh, to um, Beatriz Pastor from uh, Dartmouth, but they didn't have a PhD. And finally, I talked to John Beverly, who is a professor at WAS at the University of Pittsburgh. And then I like what he said from the beginning. I like his ideas. And I said, that's the program I, I will apply to. Okay. So now... We, we've got about 10 minutes to go, so I want to transition. We don't want to spend too much time in Pittsburgh. Yes. It's cold. Okay. It's cold and, <laughs> but, and gray. <laughs> <laughs> sounds like Scotland. Um, but you got a PhD. Then what did you do? Did You were in theory supposed to go home, I would imagine. Yes, and then life happened, right? I, I met Alex, who is my husband, uh, and then when he proposed, I said, okay, the only way I can stay in the United States is if we move down at south because <laughs> I don't like winters. I, I grew up in the desert, I told yeah. you. So I needed the sun, I needed the heat. So I only apply for positions in Texas and Arizona okay. um, and because I said I am not going Anywhere that is not sunny, and you and, landed and up hot. in Houston, which and I is, ended up in Houston, which is not exactly desert, by the way. It's no, desert. but it's, it's hot. <laughs> it's hot. It's hot, and, and it was a direct flight from Venezuela. <laughs> ah, that was an, a factor that was important. Interesting. Back then, right? And my family was still in Venezuela, and 
Continental Airlines back then who had a flight from Houston to Caracas. Um, so that was one of the reasons, you know, and I, I was really happy in, in Houston. I like the city and I, and I work at the University of Houston. And I always told my husband, the only place I will consider to move to is UTEP. So I was not in the market. I was not looking for a job. But I was contacted by somebody from the search committee mm -hmm. uh, because of the program of creative writing <laughs> that right. I, I created at the University of Houston. They knew that. And they said, OK, are you willing to apply to the position uh, of you know, dean of liberal arts? And of course, when you go for a PhD, you never see yourself as a dean, right? <laughs> that's, that's not something that... Well, some people do. I mean, it, it, it is a natural progression in one sense for a particular set of faculty where they find it's just, you know, they've been doing this over and over and they want a new challenge. That's the generous way to look at it. Uh, the other is that they can get more of an income. That's somewhat ungenerous. But And, and the other thing is that... Um, if you're a faculty member in science and engineering, you're always going to be on the lookout for money. If you don't have research funds, all right, and so sometimes it's an escape hatch for people who've just come to the end of their energy and creativity and can move into a new area of creativity, being a dean. Yeah, in my case, it was, you know, the gratification that I felt um, when I became chair and then associate dean in right. my college. And that so you knew what you were getting into, or are, I get, knew. are getting into. And I knew. I okay. knew and I wanted. This is a part of, of my career that I, I embrace. Okay. And I embrace with joy, serving, so now, serving yeah. a profession and an institution that has been really good to me. Good. Lovely. So we're going to look forward to, to uh, coming back in this program in 10 years and find out what you've done. What do you want to do? What is it you think you come into the university which has already reached a, a level and a status which was unthinkable 30 years ago? We're a tier one Carnegie research-oriented university. You've got the biggest college full of incredibly creative people who've already got momentum. Yes. What does the dean come in to do? You know, I came in part because your mission is really close to my heart. And becoming the leading Hispanic-serving institution in the nation. That's my call. And as the dean of the greatest college in, in, at UTEP, uh, I want to become, you know, an integral part of this mission of becoming a leading Hispanic-serving institution, not just one uh, of of a, of a group, but the, the leading uh, Hispanic-serving institution, because I think we have um, the disciplines, we have the commitment of the faculty that I haven't seen in other places, right? Um, the commitment, the passion, the students, and again, it's gratifying uh, for, for a faculty, uh, for a dean, for an administrator to be part of this transformational experience. I really think we are transforming lives here and we are giving uh, an underserved population opportunities to uh, become absolutely correct. better <laughs> okay. and, in life. And one of the other interesting things is that your college, that is the College of Liberal Arts, is the, maybe in nursing and, and others also, but I think is the preeminent college for outreach to the city 
or the town or the neighborhood on both sides of the border. I mean, you think about all of the output of music, drama, theater, all these things, the dinner theater is one example, mm -hmm. that serve the public. It's not part of the educational process directly, but it is an incredibly important, valuable tool to raise the level of consciousness of the city. We're isolated, and that's a benefit, because that isolation means that you now, as the dean of this big college of liberal arts, can have a leading role in the development of so many aspects of life on the border. Totally, totally. And I don't want to talk about cost, as other deans do. Uh, I want to talk about value, because I see, you know, the value of the arts the value of the humanities, the values of our liberal art education to, you know, um, move forward our students and their experience. Educating uh, higher education is not just about giving uh, professional tools because then we, we will be a vocational school. It's about educating the mind, educating the sensitivity, educating, you know, holistically uh, the, our population so I, and serving the community. I am very committed to, you know, all the programs we have of community engagement. You, you mentioned earlier that you've been here coming on and off, you know, for, for a decade. Now you're here. You've only been here, what, a month? Yes, that's six <laughs> so, weeks. So, you know, this is rather on six weeks, okay, mm -hmm. and counting. Um, any surprises? It's, I mean, apart from just having to find somewhere to live and, you know, find out where you get this food, that food, and how you transport yourself around. But on the campus, is there something which you said, gosh, I didn't realize that was here, or I didn't realize that asset, or this problem? Well, what is it that immediately strikes you? Well, you know, it is weird for me to feel that I am at home. I felt it 10 years ago when I came, and I am feeling that again. Um, the challenges that I am encountering are you know, are not all that unfamiliar. But what is really surprising to me is to feel that as a middle-aged woman, I can, you know, I chase my dream all my life. And of course, you don't necessarily think that you are going to find it uh, as a middle-aged woman. So I want to tell everybody listening that it's never too late, that maybe your perfect place, your ideal uh, job is waiting for you somewhere. So go and get it. Go and catch your dreams. And that is really, I wake up every day with a smile on my face. I come to UTEP feeling really happy and, and thankful for this opportunity because I think I am in the right place. I, I can tell the, the audience <laughs> that indeed the smile is radiant. <laughs> I can almost feel it on the other side of this uh, table. Um, do you intend to teach? Because that's one of the issues that I think a lot of administrators, you know, they think, yes, we will, I'd like to teach. And they always say that because, you know, you need, I think, in fact, you need to keep contact with students. And there's no better way than to actually have a class. Is that part of your dream? Yeah, I, there is still a part of that seven-year-old that wanted to be a teacher. Has never left me. I have, you know, a Teaching Excellence Award that I am very proud of. Um, uh, because I love teaching. So I won't teach 
maybe the first couple of weeks because I, excuse me, first couple of years <laughs> because I need to get acquainted with uh, the college and with the university. And But I will teach because that's what keeps me alive and I think energized. So Actually, Also, you could, you could give seminar. Seminar. I mean, you know, for example, you, you told us that you started out as an engineer. Yes. I think it would be totally appropriate to have a public seminar uh, to the College of Science and on the College of Engineering about that transition. And, and does your interest in literature, is there anything about your engineering background that has impact on your, your studies? I say recently, right, that I am exploring uh, all this audio boom, so the new format of books, the audiobooks, and all this industry of producing uh, audio content. Okay. So that is taking me back to, because I have to fight with a purist in literature who contests that audiobooks are not... Oh, really? That listening audiobooks is not reading. And then I said, oh, well, oh, oh, so, yes. I understand that because, I mean, as I get older, and I, I find my eyes are not quite as mm -hmm. adept. And I'm beginning to think maybe I should get some audiobooks. And then, I encourage and you to do because there are wonderful audiobooks or oral auditions uh, I, I did of, get of Moby Dick, uh, but I only got through the first chapter, even listening, all right? <laughs> but I, I've still got it hidden in my desk somewhere. Mm -hmm. I that, listen about of about two books per week oh, because gosh. I also exercise a lot. That's something that I, will, I should ah, say. Okay. <laughs> and so, then um, I always felt guilty of going on my bike, of running, because I felt those those were hours I was not using f to my intellect, and now that I can combine exercise and and reading, um, so I found the perfect formula. So when you <laughs> say exercise, you mean you jog or run or, or no, is it on one of these machines? I usually I do a little bit of everything. I bike, I walk, I run, not as much as I used to. <laughs> I swim. Right, so, um, but I listen, especially in my morning walks All right, or my lovely. morning bike rides. Well, you've got one minute left. Is there something <laughs> else you want to say in that one minute to say, hi, I'm Anna Bencomo and... Uh... You know, I am Anna Bencomo and I have, I have an open door policy. So if you want to know more about our wonderful College of Liberal Arts and all the programs we have, please come to UTEP. And, and I will be more than willing to meet with you. And I hope to meet you soon in the community and the many events we host. There you are, ladies and gentlemen. You've been listening to Anna Bencomo, the new Dean of the College of Liberal Arts at the University of Texas at El Paso. 